Last week, it happened again. Golf's Yeti, Anthony Kim, was spotted in the wild. Uh, friend of the program, Benjamin Bujnowski, was in West Hollywood, and he ran into Anthony Kim outside of a breakfast spot. Look, a, a photo of a pro golfer might not seem like much, but this is Anthony Kim we're talking about. I'm Dylan DeChair. Today, we're going to bring in Alan Shipnick, who wrote an extensive profile a few years ago for Sports Illustrated uh, on the life, the career, and the mysterious disappearance of Anthony Kim, who remains one of golf's most fascinating characters. Well, I'm, I'm pleased you thought of me, and I have to say it's devastating that he turned up at Toast, this little um, breakfast joint in West Hollywood, because I've been there many times. My sister lived around the corner for like a decade. Why, oh why, AK, did you do this to me? I, I was, I could have, we could have had another exclusive, <laughs> but um, so be it. it I mean, there's this whole genre now of, of AK in the wild social media posts. It seems like maybe every six months or a year, he bumps into a golf fan, they snap a photo, and then it, it, it gets out onto the interwebs. And uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, and then of course, when it happens, everyone goes kind of crazy. It's sort of part of the mystique of, of Anthony Kim that people still care and, uh, people are still fascinated by this character. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to impugn the reporting of our citizen journalist, but um, uh, you know that it was it was quite interesting that you know he he claims that he asked Anthony Anthony Kim how his golf game is, and he's you know uh, the man himself had a disparaging remarks. So uh, obviously, every day that goes by, every month and year, it becomes more and more uh, unlikely we're ever going to see him between the ropes, which, which is sad. But that's part of Part of what keeps the story going is there's still hope. I mean, the guy's not that old yet, so he could mount a comeback, but I think he's more likely just to keep having eggs Benedict at toast, personally. <laughs> I mean, he looks good. He's wearing some shades in this photo. You know, he, he looks healthy. He said, uh, by all reports, he was happy and friendly and, and very cordial. Uh, but I guess to, to get to this point, let's start with the beginning, because I know in your reporting for this story, I know it was a while ago, but... Uh, you talked about AK's relationship with golf has always been complicated. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he, he was he was one of those young phenoms who was pushed very hard by his father. Uh, you see this dynamic a lot on the LPGA tour, but you know, first generation Korean American immigrants, and um, you know, I lived in Southern California for a long time, and you'd go to the driving range, whether it was at Rec Park in, in Long Beach or some of the munis around LA, and you'd see a lot of these of these 10, 12, 14-year-old uh, young Korean kids, male and female, just hitting bucket after bucket, the dad kind of standing there with arms crossed. It was just sort of a, a Southern California cultural thing to, to some degree. And, you know, Anthony Kim was, was one of the best of them, and so his parents... You know, recognized he had this talent, but um, they lived in downtown LA. Uh, the family had kind of this this herb and natural medicine shop, which lends itself to certain jokes. We won't go there, but um, and so to to kind of give Anthony the the playing fields he needed and the opportunity to excel, they, they got a place out in the desert in Palm Springs, and he lived there alone, starting at age sixteen. His parents still lived in LA. They'd come out on the weekends. His mom would cook a whole fridge full of food. And uh, that would sustain AK for the week. But, uh, you know, he was just out there hitting balls, chasing the dream and probably chasing girls all by himself starting at a pretty young age. And, um, you know, the dad was was very exacting. And there's there's this anecdote that's in my story that I've never forgotten where 
where AK wins a tournament and the dad takes a trophy and just tosses it in the trash because he, he deemed <laughs> that the scores weren't low enough. And, uh, you know, that, that's a pretty heavy burden to carry around as a kid. Um, but that that's kind of, that's the backstory on, on how Anthony Kim became such a proficient golfer and, and possibly um, what led to his burnout at an early age. Yeah, and then why was he different once he got on the tour? Because, you know, part of the, the reason he has this legendary reputation now is, you know, we've built up that he was this exciting guy. He, you know, he went against the grain a little bit. Um, he didn't fit in exactly with the mold of, uh, you know, boring stick to the company line tour star. I mean, yeah, that to say the least, um, you know, he was, he was, he had a little hip hop, you know, the way he dressed, the way he carried himself, certainly the music he listened to, but, uh, it was, you know, he was edgy and he, he was young, he was cocky. He could back it up to some degree. Um, you know, the guy made birdies by the bushel. Uh, he was just a, a fearless, almost reckless golfer, just fired every flag and, and not worry about it. Um, you know, he. One of the things he told me is when he got on tour, he was attracted to shiny people and, and shiny things, and we saw that in his belt buckles, some of his comely uh, female companions out, out on tour stops, um, the private jets, the Bentleys, all of that. I mean, AK thought that he was he was in you know in an HBO pilot about about a a golfer with his own entourage, and he kind of made it come true. And when I I buzzed into his life in Dallas. He was living with his own turtle uh, and assorted other characters. Um, they were all in this giant 10,000 square foot house and they, they they took out the garden and the whole backyard and made a putting green and they had the, the pool with the waterfall and it was just total bachelor pad. It was his caddy, his personal assistant and kind of his best friend and they were just going out every night having fun. Uh, but these guys also kind of helped get him to the gym. They helped they made him work on his game. So it was it was a little broy, but it also it was the support network that that he needed and had never really had. But um, so yeah, it, he was a completely different character than almost any other country club brat on the PGA Tour, and fans could feel that, and that was partly why why people were attracted to him and, and fascinated by him. And of course, there was tons of gossip about him among among the old country club Republicans. Uh, that populate the tour and they just didn't get him culturally. They didn't understand him. They didn't like him. And it was kind of antagonistic relationship between AK and, and all the other guys on tour. And uh, that that's also part of the story. I think that's part of the reason why he just, he just decided to cut bait and, and, and call it a career. So it, it's, he's just a fascinating character on every level. Yeah. And before we get to the the really juicy stuff about why he left, what were some of the peaks in his young career that stick out? I mean, obviously he's famous for the Ryder Cup, so maybe that's a good place to start. Yeah. I mean, Valhalla, he was, I think, 23 years old and he was in some ways the emotional leader of that team. Um, he was just so cocky and so fearless and, and his teammates fed on it. You know, he, he partnered with Phil Mickelson, one of those kind of opposites attract sort of uh uh, Ryder Cup pairings, it just works. And, um, you know, Captain Azinger sensed this and he, there, was, there was a reason why he sent, he sent AK out first in singles because he wanted to set a tone. And of course, um, you know, Kim came through, he, he gave Sergio Garcia quite a beat down five and four, and that just rippled through the whole team. And, you know, it was the the first U.S. victory of the, the, the 21st century. And, you know, he was really the star of the show. And, um, so that that was that was a signature moment for him. He, he won some big time tournaments. Um, 
not a bunch of them, but he had his wins were were quality. And of course he went, he went really low with the masters, uh, 11 birdies in one round. And then, almost stole a green jacket the year that, that Phil won it in, in 2010. You know, I, I think he went birdie, birdie, eagle, birdie, birdie on the back nine. Kind of ran out of holes, but finished third. Um, it just, he was a very ascendant talent, um, despite all the all the mojo that swirled around him. And so uh, I think the Ryder Cup kind of made, made him a star and... And it was, you know, he could have been, he could have been the American McElroy, this guy who just anchored the team for two decades. Wasn't meant to be. So now it's to the good stuff. Why did Anthony Kim leave the tour? It, initially, there was an injury, right? But yeah, it was, I mean, there was a series of injuries. He hurt his thumb, tried to play through it, made a bunch of compensating moves in his swing, had shoulder problems, wound up getting surgery on the thumb came back blew out his achilles jogging on the beach that's the story um this all happened in a period of a couple of years and he was he was trying to play through the the pain he was trying to play through the rehab he, he rushed back to the tour a couple times too quick and he just lost his swing i mean we've seen that with david duvall um some degree mike weir i mean it happens to guys when they get hurt they, they change their their action and they lose their confidence and they, they make more changes and they, they just start chasing their tail. And, you know, Hank Haney told me that, that AK had the driver yips that, uh, you know, which obviously starts with probably with physical issues and then becomes completely emotional and, and mental. And, um, you know, certainly his, his driving stats got worse and worse. You know, he, he, he said, and I believed him, he just couldn't practice very much because of, of his body was brittle with his thumb and his Achilles and, uh, he was just, he was often turning up at tournaments trying to find his swing. And that, that's a tough way to play golf. And um, so then at some point, the injuries just built up and he he dropped off the tour. And that, that's when the mystery began. You know, there was this this period of about two years where there was a lot of AK sightings at the Madison Club and, and Palm Springs, um, places around Dallas. Um, he would he would call the PGA Tour headquarters periodically to um, find out what what his what his status was. He would need he would need his passwords reset because he was trying to log into the systems and the, the, his handlers at IMG were, were were always telling reporters, okay, you know, get ready, he's coming back in the fall, he's he's coming back next spring. Um, there was just this sense of anticipation, but you know, months turned into years, and and there was still no AK, and so that that's when I that's when I decided to kind of investigate this story a little further and um, kind of drop into his life and figure it out because no one really knew what was going on. And so I guess it was 2015 when, when I, I went to Dallas. You know, I'd, I'd been to his house already for, um, for this big feature that I wrote for Sports Illustrated. So I had the address. So I just, I taped a note, you know, I knocked on the door uh, with some trepidation, you know, that it's it's kind of a gray area, right? What's trespassing and what's what's being a reporter? He uh, he had this, the whole compound was gated, but the 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 sliding door or, or gate that would have covered the driveway was open. I was like, well, okay, you know, Girl Scouts could come and knock on the door and sell Girl Scout cookies. I guess I can go and tape a note. Uh, but of course, he had this big gnarly pit bull back in the day, so <laughs> I stepped lively across the yard. But the the place looked a little abandoned. Um, and subsequently, it went on the market for sale. I didn't know that at the time. I, I taped a, I taped a note on his door, 
hung out in Dallas and went to all his old haunts, you know, the bars he'd hang out at, the, um, went to the champagne room at Baby Dolls because you have to go where the story takes you. <laughs> and uh, was really just just kind of chasing the ghost of AK for a few days. And everyone said, oh, I haven't seen him in months. You know, he, used to, he used to come a lot. Now, we, now he's dropped out of sight. Caught wind of this big money card game he was playing at this at the Ritz Carlton every Monday night. Tried to get invited to that, but they sniffed me out real quick. Um, kind of hung out in the lobby that night for a few hours, trying to look like I was not a you know a, a stalker or a trespasser or otherwise a a man of ill repute, and um, never saw him. So I was actually I was at the airport flying home. I, I'd, I'd gotten some good material, enough to write a pretty good story, but. I hadn't cracked the nut and I was sitting at the airport waiting for my flight and I got a phone call from, from AK's, you know, basically, um, well, I have to be careful because I need to pr still protect this guy's identity. Someone in AK's orbit who had seen my note and rang me up and we sat there and uh, I just on the phone talked for hours. I missed my flight. That was okay. And he told me everything and, um, and partly out of a desire to motivate to motivate his buddy, you know, he could, he felt like, you know, AK was just letting the game pass him by and he was frustrated. Like golf fans were frustrated. I guess he thought if, if the story got out there, it might spur him into action. It didn't happen, but it was certainly a, a, uh, interesting reporting challenge. And my, uh, my expense report got more, uh, attention than usual from some of the charges that, that <laughs> were accrued during my reporting and the, the dark corners of, of Dallas. But, um, so yeah, that, that's the backstory. What do you want to know now, Dylan? I mean, that's pretty good. That's those are that's uh, the sort of stuff that happens, I guess, when you're tracking Anthony Kim. Uh, I mean, a little <laughs> bit. I guess what I want to know is about uh, taking your reporting to the tour because, you know, he certainly didn't get along with everyone on tour, but he still had friends. He had guys like Phil Mickelson. I know you talked to uh, Colt Nost, guys that knew him that hung out with him a bit, but then he vanished to those guys too, right? Yeah, but we're burying the lead. I thought you're, you know, I was, I was trying to be suspenseful, and you're supposed to say, "Oh, well, what did the friend tell you?" I mean, this is the key. This is the key part of the mystery is that that um, AK had this massive insurance policy against injury, and his the folks at IMG had told me about it as well. But I needed a second source um, and someone who was closer to Anthony Kim uh, in some ways, and I got it from from this, you know, this person who had talked in great detail with AK about the policy. He knew he knew the numbers, he knew all the ins and outs. And so So this is a real policy. It's a real policy. There's no question. And the the exact dollar figure is is high teens. Um, you know, I never saw the document, so we didn't specify it. But basically That is high teens he, millions to make it clear millions, to the listeners. Yeah. yeah. So call it eighteen million dollars tax-free if you never played golf again due to, to injury. And so because of the thumb, because of the Achilles, you know, AK had a very strong case that his career had been ruined by injuries. Uh, but uh, in the words of, of this source, you know, who, you know, Anthony Kim, just his words were that if I take one swing on tour, the policy is voided. So he's on the sideline trying to figure it out. Um, you know, in his, in his short but very productive career. He made about $12 million in official money and probably about the same amount in endorsements in say a, you know, three, four year window when he was playing his best golf. So purses went up. If, if he could have come back and been the same player, 
Now, okay, to make to have eighteen million tax free, you'd have to make about thirty five once you pay off all your expenses. And he he didn't you know he didn't travel in a Spartan manner. I mean, it was it was private jets everywhere. It was it was the presidential suite. So um, you know, you pay the agents, you pay taxes, you pay all your your caddy, your jets, your your diamond encrusted belt buckles. So to to hold on eighteen million, he'd have, probably have to make thirty five, maybe forty. Um, so that would have required four or five great years like he'd had before, potentially. Um, and so that was the decision. You know, if he could have come back and been the Anthony Kim we all remembered, then certainly he, would, he could have made that money and a lot more. But if he was going to be the AK of his last few years on tour where he couldn't hit a fairway and he couldn't make a cut, um, then he was going to leave a tremendous amount of money on the table. So that was the decision and i think we all know how he what what choice he made cuz he hasn't been set foot on tour since then um you know now he's had he's had 5 years of rest presumably his body could take the pounding again but um you know he's clearly not game ready he's probably lost all his confidence he might have lost his swing um so as a financial decision it was probably a smart one um on the other hand the guy already had a good amount of money and according to people I talked to in Dallas, he was a savvy investor who had been involved in a bunch of startups and some medical research companies and seemed like he was going to be okay financially. I mean, what's more fun, vacationing in Belize or, or trying to win the Masters and playing in the Ryder Cup? I mean, um, he's, he gave up a lot of life experience, but uh, that was his choice. So, um, you know, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that he, he can't come back. After this, my my story ran. I heard from a few people um, in the financial world from Dallas who claimed to have firsthand knowledge, and they said that AK was was trying to negotiate a buyout where the insurance company would give him a lump sum for significantly less than what he was owed, but then he would be able to try and make a comeback. But I was never able to to report that any further, and. Um, he hasn't come back, so who knows? I think he's still just cashing the checks every month. But um, it's 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 kind of a it's a kind of a classic decision that that resonates, I think, with with everyday fans. I mean, you, uh, would you take the money? Or would you take the chance at glory? Would you take the risk? I mean, there's no right or wrong answer. We know what he chose. I, I think we all wish he went the other way, but uh, that's just how it's played out. Yeah, and, and in the years since your reporting. Uh, have you heard whispers from guys on tour, from guys that know him, like Phil and Kevin Nod, Colt Nost, uh, guys like that, or has he really just vanished off the map? Yeah, I check in with all those guys occasionally. Not Colt, because he's mean to me on Twitter, but everyone else and um, other folks. But um, there's no one's seen him on a golf course. You know, all the places, Craig's Ranch in Dallas, the Masson Club, um, out in La Quinta, he's, he just he hasn't, he hasn't turned up. I mean, I really think he's just given up the game. Um, whether he, you know, when he's on vacation somewhere, he gets a set of rental clubs and goes out and shoots 63 for fun. I mean, I, I who knows? But as far as playing regular golf, um, it seems like that's just part of his past now. Alan, thanks. <laughs> My pleasure. I mean, it's 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 amazing that we're still talking about this because. Um, you know, if we're going back now to 2008, 2009, 2010, I mean, the game has moved on so significantly. Um, we have a Tiger Renaissance. We have Phil's back. I mean, when AK was, <laughs> it when AK sounds like was, nothing has changed. 
Tiger's here. Right, nothing, Phil's well, here. Right, yeah. but I mean, but like, I mean, when when Anthony Kim was in his heyday, we hadn't even heard of Roy McIlroy or Jordan Spieth or Brooks Kepka or Bubba Watson. I mean, um, like we've minted an entire generation of stars, and yet we're still obsessed with AK. It, I think it says more about us than him, but uh, it, it is fascinating, and I'm sure we'll be talking about this in five years. I look forward to that podcast, Dylan. Well, it still remains one of golf's greatest, most fun mysteries uh, about what could have been, maybe what still will be, but for now, I think we're just going to keep tracking down Anthony and Instagram through uh, people's brunch photos. <laughs> <laughs>